John chapter 21. Uh, we left the Gospel of John last week with Jesus being crucified. We saw Jesus uh, betrayed at the garden. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was crucified. And he was buried in Joseph's tomb. And I would pick it up now here in the Gospel of John as, as we see that Mary and, and some, of, some of the other ladies, they go to the tomb and they see the empty tomb. So here in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starts off by saying, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the, to- that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came, and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran, out, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And it says, and he, stooped, and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Ah, a lot to take in from there. Again, and we see Mary as, she, as she's there on the third day. She, you know, she goes to the, to, to the tomb first thing in the morning. They didn't do anything the day before because the day before was the Sabbath. So they, they took a, a rest, but then first thing in the morning, first thing the next day, then this is the beginning of the week, Mary goes out to the tomb. Now notice there, in uh, verses 1 and 2, it says that, In the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Luke 23, Luke uh, chapter 23 and 24, and Matthew 28, tell us that Mary Magdalene was not alone. So it wasn't just Mary that, 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 that went over there and saw the tomb empty. Luke 24, 10 actually tells us that it was Mary Magdalene, that it was Joanna, and it was Mary the mother of James, and the other women. So there was, it was all women who were there. It says, and the other women with them, who told the disciples. So it wasn't just Mary who, 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 who went to the tomb and saw the tomb empty. It was, it was, a, it was a couple Marys. <laughs> it was Mary Magdalene, Mary the, the mother of James. It was Joanna. And it says other women as well. Mark 16.1 tells us that it was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome that went to the tomb early in the morning. But John focuses in on, on, on Mary Magdalene because it's Mary Magdalene who brought the message. You know, she was the voice. So, so, so John, John the, the beloved, John the, the writer here, he's focusing in just on Mary Magdalene because it's, she's the one who, who, you know, who, who relayed the message. But with the, other, the other gospels tell us that, that Mary wasn't alone. It was all Mary's and the other women. And I just think it's, it's, it's interesting to know, you know that, that the Lord had his 12 disciples and, and, and the other women who, who followed along with them. And it's just, it's just funny. <laughs> it's just funny. I guess it's interesting in a, in a sense because you know, one guy had already left. You know, Judas, he had already betrayed the Lord. The other 11 were pretty much hiding out, you know, for fear of the Jews and for fear of the religious leaders and for fear of, of, of the Romans, you know. And so they're just hiding out. And it's the women who actually go to the tomb. And, you know, despite knowing that, that they could also get persecuted, despite knowing that they could also get in trouble, despite knowing that they're going to be identified, you know, with their crucified Messiah. And they didn't care. You know, they were, they were right there at the tomb first thing in the morning. They didn't, they didn't miss a beat. First thing in the morning, as soon as, as soon as, uh, as soon as, uh, I mean, while well, it's still dark, it says, man, they went to the tomb and they, and, and they want to go, you know, continue the preparation of their Lord. Now, Matthew 28, 2 to 4, tells that when they got to the tomb, that there was a great earthquake, earthquake and an angel descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. And that the guards who were guarding the tombs, because you guys remember the, the, the religious leaders, you know, the Pharisees, they, they, told, they told the Roman soldiers, they told the Romans, they said, hey, he had prophesied that he was going to resurrect in three days. So lest his disciples come and steal the body, you know, set some Roman guards to, to guard the tomb. So the religious leaders were, were scared of, of, Jews, of Jesus' disciples coming back and taking the body away. So they set these Roman guards there. 
Now, these Roman guards weren't, you know, they weren't just like some normal security guards. These guys were, were, were trained killers. They were trained soldiers. You know, they were trained to, to guard something with their whole life. I mean, the, when it says that, that they were set there to, to train, to, to guard the tomb, I mean, they were guarded, you know, with their own life. I mean, even if they, they had to lose their life. So it wasn't just these guys who were there, you know, doing their shift and uh, clocking in from nine to five. I mean, these guys were, were some tough guys. You know, they were trained killers. They were trained soldiers. They, they were they were they were tough dudes. You know, and and the Bible says that that the that the Romans set these guys there, you know, to guard the tomb, lest anyone come and steal the body of Jesus. Now, there in Matthew twenty-eight, it tells us that when this earthquake, you know, that this earthquake came, it began to shake everything. It, it, it rolled the stone away. And that two angels appeared, and that these Roman guards, you know, for that they were so fearful, it says that they became as dead. I mean, they just, they just passed out. You think, like, man, these guys, these are some tough dudes, and they pass out, you know, because they see, because they see the the, the angels, you know, because they see, because they see the appearance of these angels, and they just completely pass out. And then it says that there, the angels sent them. That when these guys were passed out, the angels talked to Mary. And it says that the angels sent them to tell the disciples of the good news. So first of all, you know, who is this Mary Magdalene? John, again, is zeroing in on, on, on Mary Magdalene here, you know, because she's all about the message. She's, man, no doubt blessed because the Lord chose her to, to, to go and send this message of, of the resurrection. You know, but who is this woman? Who is this Mary Magdalene? Luke chapter 8 verse 2 tells us that, that, that Mary followed Jesus and that there was a few women that were, were, who would follow Jesus, but this Mary Magdalene says that she would follow Jesus, she followed Jesus, and that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. So she was, you know, she was, she had, she had a background, you know, she, she had a story. So it says that, that, that Jesus cast out seven demons from her. Now it's amazing that the person who Jesus would reveal, you know, the truth of the resurrection to, you know, was not only a, a woman, but a woman of questionable reputation. Now keep in mind that, that, that the culture of the day, you know, they, they would, they would uh, not hold women to, to very high esteem. You know, they, they would, you know, women were, were considered as a second class citizens. But it's awesome to see that the Lord comes in and He breaks all barriers. You know, He breaks all, 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 all class structures. He breaks, all, he breaks all barriers of, you know, of, of society at the time. You know, and we see, the Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. You know, that God doesn't see us like, like, like we see us. We see it in terms of positions and, and, and authority and, 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 and places, you know, uh, you know and, and social status. But God doesn't. You know, and we see that, that, that the Lord came in to, to break these social barriers as well. You know, we see in terms of, you know, skin color, of, of you know, gender, of this and that. But God sees us as, man, as just one, as his kids. You know, so it's awesome to see that, that, that the Lord revealed this truth. First to not only just a woman, which would have been very controversial at the time. You know, and, and, and for her to come in and, and send this message of the risen Messiah would have been very controversial. So not only just a woman, but a woman of questionable, questionable reputation. You know, someone who had uh, seven demons cast out of her. And so people would have looked at Mary and they would have, you know, re- remembered her for her past. You know, it's just like, like, like a lot of us, you know, all of, all of us here have a past. You know, sometimes we run to somebody who hasn't seen us in a long time and, and, you know, and they don't know where you've been up to the last few years and they don't know that you've given your life to Christ and they don't know that the Lord has changed your life. And they, and they, they look at you, you know, and, they're just, and they're just you know, in awe of what the Lord has done in your life you know, because they remember you for who you used to be. You know, so, man, same thing with this Mary. This Mary, you know, people no doubt would have remembered her as this crazy lady who had seven demons, but Jesus came in and, and, and cast these demons out of her. You know, I mean, she probably did some crazy things while she was demon-possessed. You know, but we see that the Lord chose her to, to carry this message of the resurrection. Again, these angels appear to her and, 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 she tell, and they tell her, Hey, go and tell the disciples that the Lord is not here, but he is risen. And then verses 3 or 10, it says, there in chapter 20, it says, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, talking about John, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter. So John had to throw that in there. Hey, by the way, I was faster than Peter. And he came to the tomb first. And he, stu- and he stooping down and looking in, so looking inside the, the tomb, he saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. 
Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So we see that Peter and John hear the news of Jesus' body. And, and we, we, they hear the news that, that his body is gone. Mary comes and she, she relays the message. And immediately they run to the tomb. You know, so Mary comes. She tells them, hey, I've gone to the tomb. His body's gone. And what, what do these guys do? They, immediately they run to the tomb. Then John makes it a point to, to tell us that he outran Peter and he got there first. But, in, but even though he got there first, it said that he just looked in, but he didn't go inside. And Peter, and then Peter lagging behind, says that when he got to the tomb, he ran all the way inside and he saw the linen cloth just lying there. So John gets there first, he peeks inside, he sees the, 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 the linen cloths lying there. So these cloths were, were, were the cloths that they were wrapped, you know, dead people in, you know, to preserve the body, you know. So they, they, their, their form of, you know, a burial was very different from ours. They would, uh, they, they would wrap them in cloths, you know, and they would bring all kinds of spices in order to, to preserve the body, you know, in order that, that, that it would decay, you know, properly. And so, what they, so Jesus, when they buried him, you know, no doubt he was almost mummified. You know, he was wrapped in, in cloths, and one of the other Gospels tells us that, that, that uh, the Nicodemus and, and, and the other guy, that they brought like a hundred pounds of spices to Jesus in order to preserve his body. So it says now that, that Peter and John did go over there and they see these cloths that Jesus was wrapped, wrapped in just lying there. So then Peter lags behind and says, but when he gets there, he goes all the way into the tomb and sees not only the cloths, but also Jesus' headband. And then John then goes all the way and also, and it says that he saw and he believed. Then verse 8 notices that when, when John went in, it says he saw and believed. Now, John uses three different, three different words for Greek words for the word believe. There in verse 5, it says that he, that he stooping down, looking in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. So he uses three different words for, for, for seeing, forgive me, for this word seeing. Three different Greek words. The, the Greek word for seeing there in verse 5 means to glance in, to just kind of just peek in, to just look in from a distance. The Greek word in for seeing there in verse 6 means to look carefully or to observe. And the Greek word in, in verse 8 means to perceive with intelligent comprehension. It says that he saw and he believed. So we see that, again, these, these three different types of seeing. You know, it says Peter went in first and he saw. He kind of just glanced in and that's it. Nothing more. Then in verse 6, it says that, that, that he went all the way inside and he saw the linen cloths lying there. So he kind of just, now he's beginning to think something of it. But then when John goes in, it says that he saw and he believed. So at that moment, he was convinced that the Lord, that the Lord had risen. He saw and he understood. Notice then John adds there in verse, in verse 9, it says, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So John goes in there, he sees the cloths lying there and he, and this scene, you know, it's like something just clicks in his head. And he realizes, man, he's not here. You know, he, his body wasn't stolen. You know, he's been risen from the dead. Yeah. And we see that though Jesus warned them many times of his resurrection, none of them expected it. Jesus, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Marys and the other ladies, they go to the tomb early in the morning, not to see a risen Lord, but to finish the preparation process of this dead body. You know, they weren't expecting him to, to be risen from the dead. They weren't expecting him to be gone. Even though Jesus had multiple times had, had uh, given them you know, the heads up, hey, you know, the Son of Man must be crucified, but on the third day he will rise again. He told them there in, uh, in another portion of, of Scripture, I think in John, one of the chapters, I think two or three, as he's talking to the, to the religious leaders, and he tells them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Talking about his body. In another portion of Scripture, he's talking to the religious leaders. He says, just as the prophet Jonah was three, it was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the, at, the, at, the, at the belly of the earth. So Jesus talked about his resurrection, his death and resurrection many times. You know, he had already prepared his disciples. He had prepared his followers. He had prepared his hearers for the resurrection. But just notice that, that, that none of them expected it. You know, Mary Magdalene, she went up there. She expected to see a dead Jesus. You know, the other ladies and the other Marys, they were over there. They're expecting to see a dead Jesus. John and Peter go over there. They're expecting to see a dead Jesus. And then John goes, and as, as soon as he sees the, the cloths laying there, the, all the burial clothes, he realizes, man, he's resurrected. He's not here. He's alive. Verse 11 through 18 says, 
But Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. So it says that, that Peter and John, they went in there. You know, John believed, and then they went home. But Mary stayed behind. And what was she doing? She was weeping. She stayed behind, just weeping at the tomb. You know, again, not expecting to see her risen Savior. You know, she was just there weeping, definitely in agony, definitely in pain. If you guys ever lost a loved one, you know what this is like, where you're just, it's just this uncontrollable, unquenchable, unquenchable, just un- uncomforted pain, and uh, just weeping. You know, you could just cry and cry and cry, and, and it's, it's like, you feel like you're never going to stop crying from so much pain. So we see there in verse 11 that, that Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to, the, to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Notice, she's convinced that, she, that he's dead, and that someone has stolen the body. In verse 14 says, Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, she supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have t- carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Then verse 17 says that Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Then Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. So notice, Mary just Mary stays behind there at the tomb. Peter and John, they, they see, John believes, they go home. Mary stays there weeping uncontrollably. Weeping in, in, in deep pain and deep sorrow and, and, and agony. She sees first two angels. They ask her, hey, why are you crying? You know, how they take my Lord. I don't know where he's at. Then Jesus himself comes up to her and says, why are you crying? So we see that again. Peter, Peter and John, they made their observations. They came to a conclusion. They went home. Mary stayed behind. And as far as she's concerned, you know, her Savior is still dead. And now someone has, tamp- has tampered with the body. And as she's weeping, she peeks inside, sees two angels. And I just, I just think it's awesome, you know, that, man, she's, like, in so much pain. She just, she's just so her, you know, she's just there in the zone just crying that she doesn't even notice that two angels are standing right in front of her. You know, before this, when the two angels had appeared and, and, and removed the stone, the two Roman guards, they felt like they were dead, man. They, they passed out just from, the, from the, the glory of these angels. But Mary is in so much pain and so much agony that she doesn't even pay attention to them. She just, man, these, there's two angels talking to her. She doesn't even pay them any mind. You know, these are the two guys, these tough Roman guys, man, they, they passed out from, from being in the presence of these two angels. Mary, she's just in so much pain, you know, for her Lord that it doesn't even affect her. She's just, two angels are talking to her and she's oblivious to it. I also think it's awesome how, you know, Peter and John were there. And, and, and John always, always refers to himself as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, explaining that, that he had just a very close relationship with the Lord. Peter and John were there. But yet, the Lord didn't send them, any, send them any angels. You know, Peter and John were there, you know, and the Lord let them go on their way. And he didn't appear to them there at that moment. But Mary was there, you know, and, and the Lord sent her two angels. And then the Lord himself appears to her. I just see, like, I just see the, the, the love of Jesus, you know, the compassion of Jesus. And we see how the Lord always meets us where we're at. You know, maybe, maybe Peter and John didn't need to see something physical at the moment. You know, maybe Peter and John didn't need to have this encounter with the angels and encounter with the risen Christ at that very moment. But Mary did. And I just think it's awesome how, how the Lord deals with us individually. You know, He doesn't see us as a whole, as a church as a whole. I mean, He sees us as a church as a whole, but I mean, He's, he's interested in us as individuals. You know, and He knows my personal struggles and my personal hurts and my personal things that I deal with. You know, and, and He knows my needs personally. He'll meet me in a personal way. Same with you. You know, he knows our failures. He knows our weaknesses. He knows, he knows what we need at that moment. You know, and he comes down and he meets us exactly where we're at. He, meet, he comes down to our level. You know, Mary needed that at that moment. At that moment, she needed to see these angels. She needed to have an encounter with the risen Lord at that very moment because she was so brokenhearted. I mean, Peter and John and the other guys were brokenhearted as well, but Mary, man, she needed it. And we see that the Lord just comes and meets her right where she's at. And he sends us two angels and then he himself comes and meets her. 
And that just, it, it's so like the Lord, you know, it's so like God to just, again, to, to stoop down to our level to meet us right where we're at. And He knows what we need, you know. He knows that sometimes we need a special word from Him or we need like a special touch or we need, you know, to, we need to feel the warm fuzzies at the moment. And even though He doesn't need to give us all those things, He will. He will. So for Mary, she needed it, you know, and then she, she ends up seeing the two angels. Not only that, but she, she sees the risen Lord. So the angels ask her, why are you weeping? And she turns around and she sees the risen Lord, but doesn't recognize him. Now, we don't know why she didn't recognize him. We don't know if, if, if uh, maybe, you know, the Lord had blinded her eyes at the moment. Or if she was just in so much pain that she just, you know, didn't even, she wasn't able to comprehend. But we see that during the Gospel of Luke, it tells us a story about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It says that the two disciples are, are again, after the Lord had already resurrected, they're on, the, uh, they're on the road to the city of Emmaus. And they're just talking among themselves and they're, they're also broken heart about what had happened. And it says that the Lord appears to them and starts walking with them. And starts asking, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they go on to tell them, oh, are you new around here? What? Didn't, haven't you heard about what's been going on? About this Jesus who came, we thought he was a Messiah, we thought he was a Savior. And they ended up crucifying him and now we're just, we're kind of just thinking what's going to happen now. You know, and, and this whole time they're talking to Jesus and they didn't even recognize it. And then it says that, that Jesus began to expound the scriptures to them from, from the law and the prophets, from Moses and the law and the prophets. You know, and he says that he begins to give them pretty much a Bible study about himself and the Old Testament. You know, and then they, were, they, were, they walked with him for hours and they didn't recognize Jesus. And then it says that, 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 that he went in with them, he ate with them, and when he broke the bread and prayed, that their eyes were open and they realized that, that that was the Lord, that was Jesus. So we don't know if the Lord blinded their eyes. We don't know if, uh, we, don't know, we, we, we don't really know why Mary didn't recognize them. But, you know, we see that she wasn't the only one who didn't recognize him at first. It could be that the Lord kind of just, you know, didn't allow her to, to recognize him for the moment. Whatever it was, she looked up, you know, Jesus is talking to her. Why are you weeping? She's talking to the Lord and didn't even recognize him. You know, but to spiritualize this text, I hate spiritualizing, but, you know, we could apply this to us where sometimes we're going through something and the Lord's trying to minister to us. The Lord's trying to talk to us, you know, and, and it's like he's doing all kinds of things to get our attention and we don't realize it's the Lord trying to get our attention. We go through our lives just striving hard against God. We go through our lives just, you know, knowing that God's calling us, knowing that God's trying to get our attention. But, and, you know, he's throwing all these things in our way, you know, allowing things to happen to get our attention. And we don't recognize, like, hey, man, that's God speaking to me by sending me this person, by, by allowing this to happen, by, by doing this circumstance, by whatever it may be, you fill in the blank. We could go throughout our lives, you know, again, as Lord is calling us to do something or just to come to Him and not recognize that it's, that's Jesus speaking to us. Again, Jesus is talking to Mary. Why are you crying? Why are you weeping? You know, she talks to Him and she doesn't recognize that, that it's Him. But notice, then verse 16, it says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And at that, at that moment, you know, she recognized that, that was her Lord. He said to her, Mary. Jesus spoke her name and she immediately recognized him. John 10, 27, as Jesus is talking there, he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. That goes for all of us. You know, we belong to the Lord. If we've given our lives to the Lord, we're going to recognize His, His voice in our lives. You know, sometimes we can be so clouded by all kinds of other stuff, you know, all kinds of worries, all kinds of problems, all kinds of, you know, whatever's going on in our life. You know, sometimes these things could just cloud us. But no matter what, you know, if we've given our lives to the Lord, if we belong to the Lord, we're going to recognize His voice in the midst of these situations, no matter what they are. So we see that she's, again, in anguish, in agony, and all she says is, Mary. All she had to do was just say her name. And she recognized the Lord. You know, and sometimes that's all it takes in our lives. You know, when we're going through something difficult, just to hear the voice of the Lord in our lives. It's like, that's all we need is just, man, Lord, I just want to hear you. Lord, just give me a word from you. You know, I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking back of some of the hardest times that I've gone through. And, and where I was just like, Lord, I just, Lord, I just need to know that you're here right now. Lord, I just need to know that you're with me. And the Lord is so faithful to, to, to send me a word, you know, to put a, a scripture in my heart, to send somebody to speak to me. I'm like, Lord, thank you, because just that, just, just that, you know, that little moment of just knowing that God is with me, like that, just like that's just enough to, to carry us through our, through our anguish, you know, to carry us through our trials. And we see that that's what Mary got. Hey, Mary, that's all she needed. 
Sometimes that's all we need, right? Just to hear God's voice in our lives for just a moment. Just one word, Lord. One word from you is better than, than a million from anyone else. Lord, one word of comfort from you is better than, than all the good advice and all the good, you know, you know philosophical, you know, psychological, whatever. Or one word from you is enough. So he says, Mary. And she recognizes that's the Lord. Then when he says to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. She says, but go and tell my disciples. So we see that Mary wanted to just hold on to Jesus and never let him go. I can imagine at that moment she's just weeping. She realizes it's the Lord. She probably just went over there and started just hugging him. Lord, it's you. She loved the Lord. Amen. And we see that she's just holding on to him, just holding on to him. You know, she doesn't want to let him go. And Jesus says, hey, don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to my, to my father. But go and tell my disciples you know, that I have risen. So he's telling her, hey, you still have time with me. That's what that means. He says, hey, don't, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. He's letting her know, hey, don't worry. I'm, you're going to have more time with me. You know, but right now in the moment, there's absolutely for you to do. Acts 1-3, uh, the writer of the book of Acts, which is Luke, he tells us that Jesus remained for 40 days after his, after his resurrection, speaking to his disciples about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus, after he resurrected, he didn't go right away to the Father. He, he, he stayed with them for 40 days. I think, man, it would have been awesome to, to just hang out with the, with the resurrected Lord for 40 days. You know, and when you think, man, what did, what did the Lord do for 40 days after he had resurrected? It says that he expounded the scriptures to his disciples, you know, and teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's amazing. Then verse 19 says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so Sunday, so it's the same day, so the same day that, that Jesus re- resurrected, that Sunday morning, he meets with Mary, she, she goes and tells the disciples, and then later on that same day in the evening, it says, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when, the, when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are, they are retained. So notice that, that, says that, that they were they're assembled. For fear of the Jews. That same day, later on in the evening, you know, it's, that's, it's the same day on, the, on that Sunday morning, now Sunday evening. It says that the, all the disciples, that they were all pretty much huddled up in, in one house for fear of the Jews. I mean, and they had, they had a right to fear. They had just, you know, been almost to death. Their, their, their Messiah crucified them, you know, killed them on a cross. And, and they knew they were, that, that they were his followers. I mean, everybody recognized his followers. They had walked with him for three, about three years. You know, if, and they're probably thinking, man, if they did that to our, to our Messiah, if they did that to our Lord, then what are they going to do to us? So it says that for fear of the Jews, that they were all pretty much huddled in one place like this, just kind of thinking, man, what do we do now? Where are we going to go? So they were fearful. They were there for fear of the Jews. And notice that Jesus knew their state. He knew that they were fearful. He knew that they were worried. He knew that they were broken. So what is, he shows up and what does he say? He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He knew what they needed. You know, he knew they were fearful. He knew that they were anxious. He knew what was going on in their minds at the time. Again, God is so faithful to just meet us right where we're at. You know, he could have showed up and he could have been, what happened? Yeah, I, I told you guys I was going to resurrect. He could have just started pounding on them and now, oh, man, and beating down on them. And where, where, where were you guys at? All you guys forsook me except for John and, and the Marys. And he could have done all kinds of things. But what does he do? He meets them right where we're at. Right where they're at. He says, hey, peace be with you. You know, there were again no doubt in fear, no doubt in turmoil, no doubt, you know, worry, no doubt. They were probably questioning, you know, what Mary had told them. So at the moment they needed peace. They needed to they needed to feel that peace. You know, Philippians four, six through seven says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Man, the Lord gives us this, this, this unexplainable peace. 
you know, this, this peace that, 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 that no one else can give. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Then it goes on to say, Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah is everlasting strength. For in Yahweh is everlasting strength. This peace, man, this peace that only God can give. And at that moment, the disciples needed this peace. So he shows up. I don't know where he says, Peace be with you. And we see that, that, that John makes it a point to, to say that the doors were shut. Notice, there 19, it says, The same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled. So he makes it a point to say, hey, the, the doors were closed and Jesus showed up out of nowhere. So he makes it a point to say that, that the doors were shut. You know, and it says that, that Jesus, all of a sudden Jesus was in the room. So Jesus is now in his glorified body. Keep that in mind. Jesus is in, is in his glorified body. Before, before the, the crucifixion and resurrection, he was limited. You know, while, while Jesus was here on earth in his body before the, the crucifixion and resurrection, he was 100% man and 100% God. And this is called the hypostatic union. You know, so he was 100% God, but yet he took on human limitations. He couldn't be at two places at once. You know, he couldn't, you know, he, he, he got tired, like, like we get tired. You know, he got hungry, like we got hungry. He, he felt pain, like we felt pain. You know, he, he took on human limitations. But now after he, after he resurrected, now he's in his glorified body, in his glorified state. Which is why he was able to just appear there out of nowhere. You know, so, so he was in his glorified body. And this glorified body of the Lord was not subject to natural laws. You know, and he, and he wasn't a spirit. As, as some people teach, some people teach that, that when Jesus resurrected, that now he was, in, he was a spirit form. He was able to walk through walls. He wasn't a spirit. He was, he was, you'll see that he tells, he tells Thomas later on, hey, put your finger in, my, in, my, in, my, in, in the holes in my hand and on my side. You see that a spirit doesn't have, doesn't have uh, you know, flesh and bones. So there's like cults out there like the Jehovah's Witnesses that teach that, that Jesus resurrected in a spirit body. You know, and, and, which is false. We see that he resurrected in a glorified body and this glorified body was was a natural body, was a physical body, but it just it 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 wasn't subject to natural laws. So he wasn't a spirit. Luke 24, 37 tells us says it says, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So Luke Luke makes it a point to mention that, that when they saw him they thought it was a ghost. Though King James says ghost. You know it says they thought it was a ghost. So he has to clear things up and it says that, that then he ate with them. You know, again, he said, hey, touch, touch my side and, and, and touch my wounds. You know, he wasn't a spirit. He wasn't a ghost. Luke makes, Luke makes it a point to mention that. Then verse 24, I mean, chapter 24 and 39 of Luke, he says to them, behold my hands and my feet, that it's me. He says, touch and see and see me for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Now, it's important to note this because we too are promised a new body at the resurrection. This old body that we have now, I mean, when, when, when we go to be with the Lord, we're not going to be in these, in these old bodies. You know, I'm not going to go up there with knee pain and back pain and, and, and scars and stuff and all. It's kind of stuff. The, the, the Bible tells us that we're promised a new body. Then in 1, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul Paul's exhorting there the, the church at Corinth. And 1 Corinthians 15, 35, Paul's talking to them and explaining, you know, how, how a body must... How we must be die. How, how we must be dead. We must die, so that the Lord could, could resurrect us in a new body. And he, he gives an example of, of a seed. He says, "Hey, just like a seed goes into the ground, it dies, and what, what sprouts out of it isn't a seed, but now it's a plant. Now it's a flower." He says, "So must our mortal bodies, you know, take on die, so they could take on immortality." And then First Corinthians fifteen thirty five, he says, "But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body?" So he begins to kind of like explain to them, you know, this, this new glorified body that is promised to us as believers. So we don't know exactly what that will be like, but we know that it will be similar to the body of Christ. You know, not doesn't mean that we're going to look like him, but I mean, similar to, to, to his body that, again, it took on, took on, you know, certain, certain, uh, certain features, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't limited to natural, natural laws, the laws of nature. First John 3, 2 tells us, he says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that, that when He appears, meaning God, Christ, when He appears, we shall be like Him. He says, for, for we will see Him, we shall see Him just as He is. 
So John writes to me, he says, hey, beloved, you know what? We don't know what we're going to be like, but we know that we're going to be like him because we're going to see him like we are, like he is. And so again, the Bible, the, the Bible teaches, teaches that, you know, that at, at the moment of death and, or, or at the moment of death, you know, we'll go to be with the Lord or at the rapture of the church, wherever comes first. You know, he's going to give us these new glorified bodies. Paul wrote there in Philippians 3.21, he says, Christ will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. He goes on, so Paul, man, he goes on to, to exhort the church there about these new glorified bodies, you know, and he, he tells them that we're going to recognize each other, you know, and, 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 you know, then that we're not going to experience pain no more, that it's, it's just going to be a glorified body again. We don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but we know that's going to be similar to the body of the Lord. Now, notice, you know, I was, as I was doing my study and I was meditating on this and I was just kind of, I had to just take a pause for this because it's kind of just, man, broke me. Notice that Jesus was in his glorified body, right? He, 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 he shows up to his disciples. He, he shows himself to his disciples in his glorified body. He says, hey, look at the, the holes in my hands and my feet and my side. He was in his glorified body yet still bore the marks of the crucifixion. Then Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 verse 6. I'm just going to read the whole chapter because it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter. Revelation chapter 5. Uh, the, John the Beloved, the same author of the Gospel of John. The Lord gives him a vision pretty much. And, and the book of Revelation is, is, is broken down to three sections. Chapter chapter one, you know the things that he tells them. Hey, write down the things that you have seen, which is in chapter one. The things which are, chapters two to three, and the things which will take place, chapters four to twenty-two. And chapter five, which is things that are going to, that are to take place. John receives a vision, and then Revelation chapter five. I'm just going to read the whole chapter. It says, "And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne." A scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. it says, So I wept much because no one was worthy, was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to even look at it. So John is given this vision of heaven. You know, so we're in chapter 5, which is the things to be. So John is given this vision of heaven. It says that he, he sees God. He says, I saw him who sits on the, who sat on the throne. He had a scroll in his right hand. And, and we don't know exact, exactly what this scroll is. You know, very commentators, you know, like commentators vary on, on, on what this scroll was. A lot of people believe that it was, you know, the, the title deed to the earth. Some believe that, that it was, uh, it was it, there's all kinds of ideas. You know, me personally, I believe that, 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 that within this scroll, you know, was, uh, was, because because we're in the chapters that, are, that are, where John was going to see the things to be, I believe that in this scroll that there was just everything that must take place in order to make heaven heaven. Regardless of what this actual scroll was, the point is, the the emphasis is not what's in the scroll or what it was, but the emphasis is that no one was able, well, no one was worthy to open the scroll or to even look at it. We see that the scroll was important, and John says that he began to weep. Because nobody in heaven or on earth or under the earth or anywhere was worthy to open the scroll to, or to even look at it. Then verse 5 of chapter 5 says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Talking about Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And verse 6 says, And I looked... And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So John is getting this vision again, this scroll. He begins to weep because no one is worthy to open the scroll to even look at it. And the elder comes in and he tells him, hey, do not weep because behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll. Talking about Jesus. And then, then he says that he, said that he saw Jesus. And he says, he stood as a lamb. He says, I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. So this is heaven. This is heaven. And, and, and John sees 
the Lamb of God. John sees Jesus and he says, he described him as, as a lamb who had been slain. So we see that in heaven, that Jesus is still bearing his cars of the crucifixion. He's still bearing the marks of the crucifixion. Now this is, this is significant because heaven is, is, is a place, the Bible tells us, where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more crying, no more death. Where all things will be made perfect, where you and I will be made perfect. All my physical scars will be healed, all my, all my emotional scars will be healed, everything will be made perfect. You know, we're going to be reunited with our loved ones who have passed away and been with the Lord. There, there is, there's no more pain. There's, I mean, everything is perfect. All of us are going to be made perfect. And all of us are going to be, again, no scars, no nothing. We're going to be on our glorified bodies. But yet, Jesus is going to forever bear the marks of the crucifixion. The only one in heaven who's going to be marred and scarred is going to be Jesus for all eternity. Think about that. A million years into heaven, a million years into eternity, and we're going to be able to look at Jesus, and He's still going to bear the marks. He's still going to look as a lamb who had been slain. Jesus appears to His disciples now in His glorified body, and this is His glorified body, and He still has the marks. Now, the Bible only mentions the wounds on His hands and on His side and His feet, but I believe that He also had the scars from the whippings, from the, from, from the whip. And those 40 you know, strikes that, that he received. I believe that he still bears the marks of the bruises on his face from when he was beaten up by the Roman soldiers and by the religious leaders. Now that's amazing that, that, that his marks, you know, his wounds are for all eternity going to remind us of his love for us, of what he did on the cross for us. In a million trillion years into eternity as we're rejoicing in heaven, we're all going to be made perfect. And we're going to look at Jesus and he's still going to have those scars. He's still going to have those marks. He's still going to be the Lamb of God who was slain for the, for the sins of the earth. I thought that was heavy. That was really heavy. And he, he tells them, As the Father sent me, I also send you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So now that they have seen and believed, he gives them the mission. Man, he sends them out. Give him a mission. So he had already mentioned this in John 17, verse 18. You know, he, as he was praying to the Father, he, he prays to the Father. He says, he says, Father, as you have sent me, so I send them. So now he's mentioning it to them again, now here in his, in his resurrection. So how was Jesus sent? You know, he was sent in the power of the Spirit. It's awesome to note, to note that, that uh, even though when he came down to this earth, you know, he took on humanity. You know, he was 100% God, 100% man. And he could have, he could have, you know, done things in the power of God, but yet he chose to submit himself to the Father and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, his ministry started, if you guys remember, he started, his ministry started once he was baptized and once, and once the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. And that was the beginning of his earthly ministry. You could have done all these things in the power of God. Remember, while he, while he was at, there at the garden and the, and, the, and the mob came to take him, you know, and, and Peter tries to defend him and he cuts one of the guys' ear off. Jesus tells him, hey, Peter, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could send in right now, man, a whole army of angels, and they would protect me? So he had the power to do so, his whole earthly ministry, his whole earthly life. But he, he decided to submit to the Father and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then now he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So he sends us out, he sends out his disciples, he sends us as well, because it wasn't just his disciples here. But he sends us out as well, now in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says that he breathes on them, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now it says he breathes on them. Genesis 2-7, as you know, we're going through Genesis Wednesday nights. And I think it's perfect timing. I didn't plan it out this way. You know, but it, it's just what the Lord put in my heart. Now Genesis 2-7, as God is creating, you know, the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and all the creatures. Then, he, then we get to the chapter in chapter 2 where he, where he creates man. In chapter 2 and 7, it says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth and that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And now we see Jesus here breathing into his disciples, you know, the Holy Spirit. So God is breathing spiritual life into man there in Genesis. God is breathing physical man, sorry, physical life into, into man there in Genesis. And now Jesus is breathing spiritual life there into man here in John. Genesis, God the Father breathes life into man, physical life. Now we see Jesus breathing spiritual life. 
empowering them for the work that's at hand, empowering them for the task at hand. We see that now you know, he's breathing spiritual life into them and empowering them for the, for, for the task of being his ambassadors, for being sent out. And we see that this, this, uh, this, this receiving of the Holy Spirit now, it's the, when the, Greek, the Greek preposition is the end. The end of the Holy Spirit spoken of in John chapter 14. There John chapter 14, John gives us you know, a description of what Jesus said, two prepositions of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will know the Holy Spirit says, for he is with you. The Greek word for with is para. He is with you. He will be in you. And that Greek word is end. So before, before the Lord had resurrected, the Holy Spirit was with them, but it wasn't in them. And now that, now that He's resurrected, He's going to be glorified, He's going to be ascended to the Father. He says now they're going to receive the in experience of the Holy Spirit. Now this was foreign to them because throughout the whole Testament, we, we read of instances of the Holy Spirit coming upon people for the moment. You know, the Lord would give them a task and, and He would send His Holy Spirit to come upon them to empower them for whatever that task was at hand. But the Holy Spirit would never stay dwelling inside of them. Now the awesome blessing that, and the gift that we have as, as, as New Testament believers, as believers on this side of the cross, is that now when we come to the Lord, that very moment when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit now comes into us and dwells inside of us. Now we, we live in that, in that end experience of the Holy Spirit, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the moment we come to saving faith in Christ, He sends His Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. So now He tells them, He says, He breathes onto them, He says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they will experience another work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, which is our next book that we're going to study. In Acts chapter 1, we see in Acts chapter 1 8 that, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon the believers and that He's going to empower them to be effective. Witnesses of Him. They're in, John, in, Acts, in Acts chapter 1, they're going to receive the upon experience of the Holy Spirit, the epi. So the Bible talks about the, the para, the with, the Holy Spirit with you, the end, the Holy Spirit in you, and the epi, the Holy Spirit upon you. And there's something that, that's available to all of us as believers as well. You know, and, and all you have to do is just ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord, you know, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. This is what... what, what what we refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. All of us have the Holy Spirit already, but there's a special work that the Lord does when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The Lord come upon us. You know, and I would, I would describe this as, you know, imagine you have this cup of coffee and you fill it to the brim. And that's the Holy Spirit in us. And imagine you get the pot of coffee and you just keep on pouring it till it's overflowing and it's all over the floor and everyone's feet are wet with coffee. That's the epi, that's the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Lord is designed to, to do in us. You know, we could always just come to the Father and say, Lord, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. You know, before I teach the Bible, before I go out there, I mean, man, even when I'm at work, I'm at work and I, and I say, Lord, baptize me in your Holy Spirit because I need, I need your power just to be an effective witness there at work. Lord, baptize me in your Holy Spirit just so I could and do the simplest things. It's something that's available to us as believers, as New Testament believers. This baptism with the Holy Spirit. We're going to read about it. In a couple of weeks as we get to, to, to Acts. But right now the, the believers are experiencing this in experience of the Holy Spirit. And notice right there in verse 23. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So what does this mean? I've heard some crazy, crazy teachings come out of this one verse. But basically what Jesus is telling them, he's saying that says, now you're going to have the authority to that, that with sureness let someone know if their sins are forgiven or not and that's something that we all have I mean it's not that now I'm the uh, I'm the sin holder and if, if I want you to be a sinner you're still going to be a sinner until I say so that's not what he's saying but I've heard people teach that that's not what he's saying pretty much what he's saying is that now you're going to have the authority through, through the scriptures from the scriptures to let someone know their sins are forgiven or not I mean a couple of weeks ago I was at the barbershop you know and I'm talking to my friend I made a new friend at the barbershop went to a new barbershop and this guy, uh, you know, he's, uh, for the most part, you know, growing up, growing up uh, uh, not studying the Bible. You know, say he's a, he's a Catholic. He's a really good dude. And, and he just got into, into studying the Bible. You know, and we're just talking about heaven, about all these things. You know, and then we're just talking and stuff. And he remember he said, man, he says, uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, what's going to happen afterwards. He's like, man, he says, when I go to heaven, he's like, if I go to heaven, he's hopefully, he said, hopefully I make it to heaven. And I start, I stop, I'm like, bro, what do you mean hopefully? So 
we start talking about heaven and we start talking about these things. And he's like, yeah, well, I mean, we won't find out till we die, right? And I was, I told him, like, we stopped right in the middle of my haircut, man. My hair is like half cut. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, I'm like what, if I, what if I told you right now that you could know for sure if you've been forgiven? What if I could tell you right now that you could know, a, that you could be a thousand percent sure that if you die right now, you'll go to heaven? And he's just like looking at me with the machine in his hand, it's still on, and he's looking at me like this. And I'm right there looking at him, and he's like, yeah? And he's like, well, what would you say if I could tell you that you could know for sure? He's like, how? And we're right there sitting down, man. Got hair all over the place, and I'm, I'm just going, going through the scriptures with him. Letting him know, hey, you know, the Bible says that we, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. You know, the only way we won't get to heaven is, is if we're sinful. You know, the sin, sinful, sinful nature can't, can't in, inherit heaven. And because God is holy. So I, we started just going through the Romans road and through John 3, 16 and whatever the Lord put in my, in my heart at that moment. You know, and, and this is what Jesus is talking about. He's telling them, he's telling them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Meaning, now you're going to have the authority through scripture to let someone know their sins are forgiven or not. Not that I'm going to be the one who's forgiving their sins, but now we have the authority through scripture. Just like I did with my barber, Junior. I'm like, Junior, this is what the Bible says. That if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, now God sees you for, for, for his righteousness, not for your own. Now he sees you for not what Junior has done, but for what Christ has done. Junior, this is what the Bible says, that if anybody calls on the name of the Lord, that he will be saved. And Junior, this is what the Bible says, and that's what I was doing. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We all have that same authority with the scriptures. Hey, I'm wondering if I'm going to make it to heaven if, hey, this is what the Bible says. Hey, but I don't feel like I'm saved. Hey, this is what the Bible says. Yeah, but you know, somebody that wake up and I'm going to have all these crazy thoughts. Have you given your life to the Lord? Yeah. Have you believed in the Lord? Yeah. Have you repented of your sins? Yeah, but I still struggle with hey, This is what the Bible says. So now we have the same authority. Just go to the scriptures. So that's what he's telling them. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Based on what scripture says. And verse 24 says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The, the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hand the print of the nails, and, the, and put my finger into the print of his nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Notice that he said, my Lord and my God. So what's going on here? The, the, the disciples, you know, minus Judas, he's gone. And minus, minus Thomas, because for whatever reason, he wasn't there. So the disciples have an encounter with the risen Lord. Then they find Thomas later on. They let him know, hey, man, we saw Jesus. Jesus says, and Thomas says, hey, unless I see him for myself, unless I see the wounds on his hands and on his side, and unless I put my hands in there, I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, they're gathered again, and Jesus shows up and announced. <coughs> And he says to him, reach your finger here. He says, look at my hands. Put your hands on my side. And notice, Jesus wasn't physically there when Thomas had said this eight days ago. So Thomas was, must have been really, you know, taken off guard. Knowing like, oh man, he heard what I said eight days ago. Of course, he's God. So he, t- he shows up to Thomas and he says, hey, look, put your, look at my hands. Put your hand right here on my side. You know, now it doesn't say that, that Thomas actually reached in and he did that. You know, I, I think just seeing the risen Lord right there in front of him, um, repeating what he had said eight days ago was enough for him <laughs> to, just, to just believe at that moment. But again, Jesus comes up and he repeats from what he said eight days ago. And then what does Thomas do? He proclaims, my Lord and my God. Thomas answered. That was his answer, my Lord and my God. He didn't go in there and reach in. He didn't, you know, need any further explanation. At that very moment, he recognized that not only was Jesus resurrected, but he recognized, hey, Jesus is God. My Lord and my God. Thomas at that point became a believer. He believed in the resurrected Lord and in the divinity of Christ. He said, my Lord and my God. I, you know, I, I bring this to your attention because we talked about it a few weeks ago. You know, but there's a lot of you know false religions out there, false 
false you know, uh, beliefs out there, cults, you want to call them cults, you know, who will teach that Jesus is not God. And who will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And, and when you change the identity of Christ, now you're believing in a different Christ. Now it's, not, now it's no longer the Christ of the Bible. Now it's no longer the Jesus of the Bible. If you place your faith in, in any other Jesus besides the Jesus who the Bible says is, then you put, you're putting your faith in, in another Jesus, in another belief. And something that, 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 that God has not said. I remember a couple, it's been like a month now that we're in Mexico and we're talking to this lady, right? And uh, me, Liz, and, 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 uh, and Sister Monica, Danny's mom, we're talking to this lady and she's like, oh yeah, she's like, oh, I believe in the Lord. And she's like, uh, I'm getting Bible studies from this Jehovah's Witness lady. And we're like, all right. We stopped her right there. We started talking to her. We explained to her how they teach a different Jesus. And we see that it's possible to teach a different Jesus. Paul talks about this in the book of Galatians. So that it says there will be some who come in preaching a different Christ. So we see that the Bible tells us that that's possible for, for there to be different Christs out there. And we see right now many different Christs out there. That Christ who are not the Christ of the Bible, but who people preach, you know, like people are preaching a different Jesus, of Jesus that cannot save. So I remember we're talking to this lady and we pretty much I so we're talking to her, we're showing her, we're telling her everything that they taught about Jesus. That Jesus is not, is not God, but that he's, uh, he's, he's Michael the Archangel, and that he's all kinds of things. And um, we're t- I remember after talking to her, we're like, after knowing all this, are you still going like, to you, you follow her? Are you still going to believe in that? She's like, yeah, well, she's a nice lady. I'm like, I'm like ah, but that's not the point. You know, the point is that she's teaching you a false Christ, a false Jesus, a Jesus that cannot save. And she just had to kind of think about it, and I was just tripping out. I was like, man, that's crazy, you know, that, that, that someone can know that, that they're believing in a different Jesus other than the Jesus of the Bible, and they'll still be okay with it. But it happens all the time. You know, people, people preach about a Jesus who's, you know, who's all love, and, and yeah, God is love, and God is gracious, and God is forgiving, and God is merciful, and God is all these things, but He's also just. You know, and, 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 and Jesus talked about more about hell than He did about heaven. Believe it or not. And we see that this that hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place and God's mercy is real. And God's forgiveness is absolutely real. God's righteousness is absolutely real. You know, but so is you know the consequences of sin. And so is the consequences of rejecting Christ. But we see Jesus, and we see Tom, Thomas here say, My Lord and my God. And we see that Jesus didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, Whoa, 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 don't call me God. You know, I'm not God. No. But he accepted it. You know, now. I've talked to a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses and for, I don't know if they're all trained to answer this way or what because like on multiple occasions they've all answered me the same thing. When I bring this up, they'll say, oh, well, Thomas was surprised when he saw Jesus so he said, oh my God, <laughs> my Lord and my God, which actually blasphemy. You know, now if, if so my next question to them is like, oh, was Jesus a rabbi? Was he a teacher of the law? Yeah. If he was a teacher of the law then he would have rebuked Thomas at that very moment for blasphemy and he didn't. <laughs> Now then they take it another route. So we see that, that Thomas here is recognizing my Lord and my God. Now this word that, that Thomas uses to, to describe uh, Jesus as Lord, it's uh, the Greek word kurios for Lord. It's used with, with its Greek and then its Hebrew translation to Greek. It's used 6,519 times in the Bible. Referring to God. And the Old Testament referring to, to the Lord God, Yahweh, you know, Adonai, Adonai. Jehovah, the Lord God, and as you see in the New Testament, 6,519 times. And it's the same word that, 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 that Thomas uses to, to, to describe Jesus, my Lord and my God. Without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. Us as believers in the Bible, who believe that the, that the, that the Bible, well, what the Bible teaches, that there is one God. And within that one God, that there's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equally God. Different in position, but same in, in, in divinity. Sharing the same glory, the same divinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. Different positions, different, different rankings, but all equal, equal in divinity. All equally God. This is what the Bible teaches. And Thomas recognizes it. My Lord and my God. And then verse 30 and 31 John ends this chapter by saying, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that believing you may have life in his name. So he sums up, there's still going to be one more chapter, but he sums up his whole gospel, you know, in this. He says, many other signs, he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written. So the whole gospel of John, that's what he's talking about. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So this is the theme for the whole gospel of John, belief in his name. You know, this is an awesome book to read because you could read throughout the whole Gospel of John with this theme in mind. That everything that John is writing about, because John wrote his, his, his Gospel after, after the other guys. When John wrote his, his Gospel, Matthew had already written his, Luke's was out, Mark's was out. You know, and then John decides to write his Gospel somewhere around the, uh, AD 90. So he, he wrote his, his Gospel last. He probably read the other, the other Gospels. You know, and, and the Lord inspired him to write these things specifically. Why? He tells us right here. He says, these things are written. He says, Jesus did many other things, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So the natural result of, of us reading the Gospel of John is that we would see these things that Jesus did and come to a place of belief in our lives, believing that, that Jesus is the Christ, the one that the, that the Scriptures talked about. Now Jesus said, Jesus said to Thomas, He said, Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Right? He says 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. He says, But blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Yeah, that's us. Each and every one of us were here. Why? Because we've, we've believed in the risen Lord. We've believed in the risen Savior. And Jesus calls us blessed. He says, Hey, blessed are those who have not seen but yet believed. Every single one, one of us, you know, have believed in the Lord. We didn't see Him physically. You know, we, we, we didn't touch Him. We didn't see Him physically. But we don't need to see the, the physical risen Lord because we see His, the effect of, of, of His Spirit in our lives. Right? We don't need to see the risen Lord in order to believe. The testimony of a transformed life is, is proof enough. I mean, man, Again, the testimony of a transformed life is proof enough. People see us and they see the work of God in us. They see, they see the work of Christ in us. That's testimony. That's a testimony in and of itself. God desires that others would see His work in us and also believe. You know, we don't need to see the risen Lord. You know, we know that we have a personal relationship with Him. I could go, to, I could go in, my, in my private time, in, you know, my, my private area and just, and just pray with the Father and just pray the Lord and read the scriptures and have a personal encounter with the Lord wherever I'm at whether, it's I'm, whether I'm driving or if I'm walking in the store or if I'm right here or whether I'm at work and, and I have this fellowship with God the Father through His Son Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit joining inside of me I don't need to see the risen Lord we're going to see Him one day and we're going to behold Him for the, the rest of eternity but we don't need to physically see Him now in order to, to come to a belief in Him Right, we see the, the, his, his power working in our lives And we see His power working in other people's lives I mean I became a Christian because I saw I saw the risen Lord in my mom You know, she came to the Lord she, You know, the Lord transformed her life And she was the first one in our family to get saved And I'm like, man, that's crazy that You know, all of a sudden she's different That's crazy, you know, what's going on with her And I come to find out that she had met the risen Lord And man, because of that I saw what the Lord did in her life Now, now I came to the Lord and just it goes on, so on and so forth, right? People are to look at us and see the risen Lord in our lives. You know, see the effects of, 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 of this relationship with God in our lives. You know, remember, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I sent you. And that's God's desire for us, you know, is that we would just be lights in the world. You know, that people would, would, uh, would, would see us and that they would see something different. And that would have sparked in them, a, you know, a, 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 just this, this curiosity to say, Hey, what's different about you? And we could just say, Hey, I've had an encounter with the risen Lord. I was telling Liz a couple of days ago, man, my coworkers started making fun of me because they found out I'm a Christian. And, you know, they, and they knew, like, Oh, yeah, we knew something was different about you. And then, uh, so they started making fun of me. Now, now I'm a Christian, and they call me the, the Jesus Christ guy. <laughs> you guys know that guy who's famous on the internet? Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so they make fun of me, man. They call me Jesus, the Jesus Christ guy. Like, it's all right, man. In my head, I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe they'll say his name enough that eventually they get convicted. They say, man, Jesus Christ, and they'll, they'll have an encounter with the risen Lord as well. But it's awesome to see that, again, that, that that's God, God's purpose for us. You know, that we would be these, these lights in, in a dark world, 
you know, man, the world is getting darker and darker, guys. And, and God has, to think that's so awesome that the Lord would choose us, you know, the most unlikely of characters to, to bear His light. He chose Mary, you know, the most unlikely of persons to go and send a message to the disciples. And He chose us, you know, the most unlikely of people to go send His message to the world. He says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And we don't have to do this in our own strength, you know, but God has given us the power of His Holy Spirit in our lives to be out there and just be witnesses for Him. With that word, we'll end. Uh, Father God, I just want to thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your word that, that, that just has uh, such a transforming effect in our lives, Lord. And I want to pray, Father God, if there's anybody here, Lord, who maybe is, is looking at this differently now for the first time, Lord, and, and who is maybe realizing, I don't think I've ever had an encounter with the risen Lord. And who maybe is wanting to just have an encounter with the risen Lord today. I pray for that person right now, Lord. And, and uh, I pray, Father God, that you would just meet them right where they're at, Lord. And Lord, you know, the, you know the thoughts in their hearts, Lord. You know the cries of their hearts. And you know the, 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 the secret thoughts, Lord. The things that no one else knows. The things that go on in the secret place of their heart. And I pray, Father God, that you would meet them right where they're at, Lord. And I pray that they would be able to have an encounter with the risen Lord. And they would just come to know you, Lord, as, as their Lord, as their Savior, as their God. That, them, that they with Thomas will be able to say, my Lord and my God. So I pray for all of us, Lord, may you just fill us with the Holy Spirit, Father. And I pray for a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit upon all of us, Lord. Empower, empower us, Lord, to just live lives set apart unto you, Lord. I pray that, that you, we would go on throughout the rest of our day, Lord, and throughout the rest of our week, Lord, with a with the newfound hunger for your word and a newfound desire to know you more intimately, Lord. Meet us right where we're at, Father, as you're so faithful to do so. In your name we pray. Amen.